Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sarah Wilson, and this is Wild a show where we talk with the biggest minds in the world about the ideas that can help us love and save our one wild and precious life together on this planet. For something a bit different this week, I'm posting an important conversation I had a few days ago via the Small Giants Academy with its co-founder, Barry Lieberman, who's also a pioneering impact investor, filmmaker, businesswoman, philanthropist, and who brought out the School of Life to Australia a number of years ago. She also founded Dumbo Feather magazine. She was also a pioneer in the B Corp movement in Australia. She's also a really great friend of mine. We've become friends via our discussions on these very big topics. The conversation that we have here on this episode was titled Sensemaking in the Metacrisis, and the subtitle was How to Be of Service in Troubled Times. And Barry and I in the conversation loop around and explore a number of ideas that bring together so much of what I cover here on Wild and go into more deeply with my Substack community over at Substack. And I'll put the link to that in the show notes, but it is in fact sarahwilson.substack.com. Now, Barry and I had been wanting to have this conversation for a long time, and the date that was put in the diary happened to coincide with a lot of big things happening in the world that cry out for some better sense-making and really are profoundly emblematic of the metacrisis, which is the sum of all the crises that we're facing today and the mindset that led to these crises, plus our inability to fathom and solve it all. That's loosely the metacrisis. I hope you enjoy the conversation and I will put the details of where to listen to other small giants conversations in the show notes. I'll return to the AMA or ask me anything format next week, but I think I will use this slot for other great podcast episodes that I do from time to time on other platforms. I've got one coming up that I did with Oliver Berkman with uh, Intelligence Squared, and I figured there'd be many of you who will want to listen to that one. So I hope this kind of format messing around with (laughs) is all cool with you. As with the Ask Me Anything, the video version of this interview will be posted over at Substack, and it's over there that you can engage in a conversation afterwards with a very discerning community of caring thinkers, plus me, and I'll also ask Barry to join in the conversation as well. 
Finally, we kick off this conversation with reference to the trip I did with Small Giants to Stockholm Impact Week, which I've written about, and I'll put the link in the show notes as well. Okay, enjoy. So the last conversation that I had um, with our communities was with Krista Tippett and um, and she spoke about two really important things. She said, words make worlds. And Sarah, you and I are pretty, pretty um, intensely focused on our words and that the place we orient our attention actually informs our questions and our choices and our actions. You and I were just together in Scandinavia on a small giant's impact safari. I was just wondering, I know you wrote a sub stack about it just this week. That was amazing. Um, I was wondering where you are right now after that safari. And in many ways, I've sort of felt like this week with the unbearable tragedies um, happening in the Middle East, that in some ways I feel like we were primed on that trip. How have you been feeling? Yeah, that trip, um, I did a podcast with Nate Hagens and I know you've interviewed him in the past and I think a lot of people um, in my community found it very, very helpful. Um, And obviously we had conversations with a number of the the speakers there who were talking about some pretty hefty truths. Um, You know, you and I have been, we we connected via the climate crisis, the climate um, fight, um, so to speak. And I think we got a very strong sense that things have moved on beyond that. It's become that and a whole heap of other things. And, and of course, the, 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 the name of this chat that we're having is, is about sense-making in the metacrisis. That is the metacrisis. So I think we got a very good sense of that. And what came out of that experience, which is helping me these last couple of weeks, off the back of the voice referendum result and all of the polarisation that's coming out of that. And then, of course, what's happening in Israel and Palestine and the polarisation that's coming out of that is this sense that the complexity is at a scale that we can't be expected to be able to fathom it, to be able to kind of create neat, pithy, hot takes um, and nor should we, but it comes as something of a relief to to know that that is the wrong way to go about things. It's not going to help. It's actually impossible. It's like we have a leave pass in some ways. You know, that's at one level a leave pass from from having to to dissect it all because the complexity is beyond that now. So I think that that actually brought about a certain calmness that I've brought to things in the last week or two, where and a wisdom you could call it a wisdom. But I'm finding myself um, sitting back and, and Barry, you and I just talked about this before we got on to the call. Um, you know, I've been really heeding that uh, res- that request from First Nations leaders who have said, look, we're having a week's silence off the back of all of this. We're going to grieve. We're reflecting. We're, you know, we're garnering our strength again. Don't worry. We're all in a great place. We're going to make, we're going to keep surging forward. And I actually honoured that, and I and I wrote about it on my Substack this week. It's just been, it's just been a real relief to be given that that leave pass that we don't have to have a hot take because the hot takes 
are actually contributing to the very fundamental issue that's caused all of this in the first place, which is this idea of bifurcation, this idea that everything has to be, you know, we've got to have a take aside, that there's a black and a white to all of this. And, um, yeah, so that's that's sort of where I'm sitting at the moment. Yeah, I love it. Um, You know, in many ways, we we said cruel things. Um, those of us who've been on the sense making safari, we were all like, "Welcome to the meta crisis." You know, we got home to all this bad news, mm. and um, this is it. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. Mm. And we were, you know, at the Small Giants Academy, we talk about in many ways. You you first sort of brought that beautiful word to my mind of pulsing, and mm-hmm. we talk about pulsing between wisdom and action at the Small Giants Academy, the need to really gather the wisdom to tap into your own innate wisdom, the wisdom of your communities and the wisdom of nature, um, the wisdom of your what is beloved to you, tap into that and then move into action. And it's a pulsing formation. It's not actually a straight line. It's not rigid. It's not productive. It's n- none of those things. It has its own rhythm. But you know it when you feel it. You know it when you're speaking from an activated, reactive place. At the academy, when we teach some of our programs like the MBE, the Mastery of Business and Empathy, we talk about leadership a lot. And I think that a lot of people have come on this call because you're in leadership, whether it's as a parent, um, in your communities, in your businesses. We talk about above the line and below the line leadership. And above the line leadership is really where you are choosing your response. Below the line, you are no longer choosing. You are in a reactive Mm. state. And I think that one of the things I'm really trying to practice, and and you are too, is that leadership and service in the metacrisis is about know thyself as much as you can and really embedding practices in your life that enable you to lead from above the line. And we all know what that feels like, the difference between the two, and we know what it feels like when we see world leaders doing it. Yeah, I agree. And just a thought that came to mind, and it's um, a quote from, well, it's not a quote, it's actually an idea that came from Audre Lorde, the black feminist activist from the 1960s and 70s and she actually was the first person to coin this idea of self-care and self-care for her was something that she she encouraged black women to do go home feed yourself get some sleep nourish yourself not to I don't know I don't know you know bliss out on your yoga mat and then that you know, it all ends there, but so that you have the strength, the nourishment to come back to the front line the next day, you know, so you're pulsing. And I've noticed that she's been quoted quite a bit the last few days as people try to grapple with what's been happening over in the Middle East. And, um, yeah, I, I think that, that idea of self-care for the purpose of building up your leadership abilities is really, really important. I think a lot of people find that that dance backwards and forwards. It feels selfish. Well, it's not selfish if you're using it to prepare yourself to go back out there, you know, and it's that, it is that pulsing. That Another thought that came to mind, I interviewed somebody called Marcus Buckingham recently, and he came up with a term called tilting. You know, rather than having to decide at any given point, you know, what's the perfect ratio of, you know, me time versus time I spend with the kids versus time I spend in the office, 
he sort of talks about tilting towards the thing that is calling you at any given time. And um, I find that a really helpful strategy as well in these times is to trust that, you know, if I'm, if I sit back for a while, I can then lean forward again when it's the appropriate moment. But, you know, we are feeling that we've got to take a position at all times. And I think, you know, when you asked me to do this um, conversation, I had to think about a few things and of course it's all been heightened. I mean, what the, it's a perfect time to be having this conversation, but um you know, I think that, uh, yeah, I think that there's a lot of issues in and around complexity tolerance. You know, we we feel that we've got to take a position. We've got to, you know, put something up on our Instagram. And it's it, it really isn't, I don't think that's what the world is asking of us not right now. It's not asking us to take a position. We're being asked what feelings we need to feel right now. That's That's the space that we're in. And um, I've said that to a few people in the last week and they're like, oh, my God, that comes as a sweet relief. That that yeah. seems to make sense. And for a lot of people who don't really understand what sense-making is, there's a lot of theory, there's a lot of bros that have these big psychobabble about it all. It's not that complex. It is really sense-making is not being able to take this big position above it all where you suddenly have an understanding and a hot take on the whole thing and the complexity of it, of it all. It's actually been in it, feeling it, and actually seeing it for what it is, which at the moment is incredibly complex, unfathomably complex. And a lot of the people in the space, the metacrisis space, do talk about the fact that the metacrisis is our inability to fathom it, to do a hot take. It is also the fact that we, we, went into things with this idea that we 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 had certainty and certitude and that's what caused the problem so the meta crisis is this mentality that caused it and is also trying to solve it but he's making it all worse that's it, it it's just such a hard thing to grapple with because we live in such a binary linear society well but it's I a relief I, when we think about these things differently a, it is a relief and it's re it is really complex to get our nervous systems and our minds around what what you're saying and that's what i felt when i came back from scandinavia from being like my brain was on fire and i was like i don't think i can actually get around this under it through it i i don't know what just happened, but there was a beautiful moment where we were in conversation with Nora Bateson for we just I, I got to have breakfast with her, which was incredibly lucky. And she said, well, if Daniel Schmachtenberger is the war room, the situation room, I'm the meadow. Mm. And I thought, oh, my mm -hmm. God, that is the perfect articulation of a kind of business as usual, old economy, hospicing the old, really hospicing what we're losing and grieving that, naming that. Sorry if you can all hear the dog and the kids. It's like I do my yeah. best to control, but actually none of us have any control is what we're saying. I can't it's, hear it. It's great, all good. Amazing. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the meadow as well. It's the fact that... Mm. We are right now on this call in a generative social formation. We're all showing up for this conversation and we're all part of very different ecologies in our lives and in our communities. And if you want to be of service, that's very much an on the, like that's a grounded experience as part of an ecology, not as a solution, but 
it, mm. that we belong to each other and it is the relationship between us, between our thoughts, between ourselves, between in, in our bodies, yes. when we're not component parts of a machine. We're human beings in a living system and if we're really longing for a world that has hopeful leadership or has hope in it or that we would want a gift to our children and grandchildren, then we have to, uh, this is the hard part I'm finding, being a modern human because we can't mm. get away from the structures and the systems we've designed. We can't actually just dispose of it and run. We are faced with this. We have to deal with this. And so today, like in the last 48 hours, I was like, damn this, I'm going to practice some of what I preach. I'm not going to make it an intellectual exercise because our brains can't think our way through this shit. Yes, it's great to have a thinking mind. But in the last 48 hours, I actually removed Instagram from my phone. Because I, was, I did the same last week. <laughs> yeah, I was just engaging with these binaries. And actually we had an incredible live conversation with Frances Haugen in the White House in the last week. And she's the Facebook whistleblower. And she actually talks about in the 20,000 documents that she recovered and put forward for a Senate inquiry into social media and Facebook in particular, that they had done the analysis in these companies. They have all done this analysis of how much harm, how much hate is worth a reduction in profit. Mm. Those are the metrics that they've actually done the analysis on. And I can tell you all we are here because of that. Yeah. We are here because it is not worth it to them in the old system to reduce harm. There is a money value on harm, on teenage suicide, on the mm. on what happened in Myanmar, what's happening around the world with the climate, what's happened just now in Israel and Palestine. And yeah, I think I, I think when we can, I, I think that's so hard to grapple with. And I think I'm listening to a lot of people at the moment trying just going, how have we got to the point where the world is working like this? You know, you've got Steve Bannon, um, the sort of the mastermind behind Trump's, you know, behaviour, who says, you know, he's got that phrase, flood the zone with shit, right? Yeah. That is a strategy, you know, yeah. that 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 the the leaders, the men. That angry, that, that angry, world, angry, unconscious men, I'll point yeah, out. Yeah, that's it. That's right. Um, but unfortunately they are, they are, they do tend to be men. Um, and I can't help but observe that, you know, as we are facing a situation where it could potentially this war could blow out, it's, you know, it's women and children that are generally the sacrificial lambs in all of this. But um, yeah, it's, I think people really find it hard to accept that this is, this, this is what's happening. There are people with vested interests in creating this incredible chaos in, and, 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 and bifurcation and discord and and hatred. Um, and I don't think we can be in that in in that pit. We've got to actually go over here and make the new way of doing things more charming than that thing over there. You know, you mentioned the um Nora Bateson's line about the the meadow. It's like Rumi's field quote, you know, there is a field out there beyond, was it out beyond out beyond ideas of right and wrong, there is a field. I'll meet you there. And I think that that's what everybody on this call, I mean, that's what we, that's, we're in the field, right? You came and met us here and, and 
that's what we need to be focusing our attention on. It's a really interesting thing. And I think, Barry, you and I talked about, about it um, in Scandinavia and so did Danny and I. We were so in service to the climate, right? And we still are to a very large extent. We, we haven't, you know, aborted mission. Um, but that very much entailed trying to get everybody on board, right? We needed the whole world to act together all at the same time. So we needed our neighbours to recycle. Everybody stopped, had to stop consuming and vote climate. And it was exhausting. This next sort of chapter of where we're at is really distinctly different. We're not going to be able to take down, you know, the behemoth forces that are that are stoking the fires here. We're going to have to use a different strategy, and it is about nurturing. I do these calls now, Barry, where Substack, my community can book in for a one-on-one with me in a sort of a situation like this on Zoom. And I had somebody who may be on this call, actually. Um, she's called Ali, and she, she asked... Um, I'm a documentary maker. I've been making films about the climate crisis, but I'm just like, is there a point anymore? How can I be of service now? What should we be doing? And I'm sure you're getting asked this as well. It's a question I've asked myself. And my answer is we actually now need to switch our attention to holding each other, like creating those fields and 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 supporting each other emotionally as we grapple with the reality of what's going down. We need to help each other do the sense-making work and the emotional work. It's a very different, um, it's a very different um, sort of job description, you know, to what we were doing in the climate stuff. I mean, you, you've always, and I think I have as well, we've always held space for the emotional kind of, you know, recoiling that happens. But I think that's pretty much what we need to be doing 90% of the time, not 20% of the time going forward. You, you're, yeah, you remind me of, of this great moment. Maybe that person's on the call, but it was this great moment of talking about um, being in all these spaces of, of change-making and sense-making and, and this woman, I, it was, bless her, she was. it was so good. She's like, I, I get about the inner work. Like I, I get all that. That's awesome. That's great. I'm just wondering can I not do that because I just want to do the work (laughs) part of the work Mm. and I was like it was the best like most honest question and um I said to her well a hundred percent you can just do the work without doing the inner work it's like my dentist says because I said to him like do I have to floss that shit is disgusting I don't want to floss and he was like you do not have to floss which was I was That was also, I was like, he was like, you do not have to floss. He's like, only the teeth you want to keep. <laughs> so, you know, we get to choose. And mm. it it would seem that the inner work is more important and the consciousness work is more important than it has ever been if you want to be of service. And that is a choice too, because if you're paralyzed, as many of our friends right now in Israel and Palestine are, they can't function. They're in non-functioning trauma. And there are many ways of thinking through all of this. So at the Academy also, we we talk about this a lot. Um, and Daniel Schmuckerberger talks about it. There's a there's a pre-tragic, a tragic and a post-tragic frame mm-hmm. in the pre and and maybe we can put um uh thanks Danny. He would say that he's my husband in the chat. Um but uh the the pre-tragic the tragic and the post-tragic gives us a bit of an emotional arc. And Tam, I don't know if you can yes. find that. Um, actually, Danny mentions it in his newsletter um, last week about how to frame it. But I, but I'll get back to that in a minute. One of the things that I've found really, really helpful in the last 10 days as I've been just 
gripped by the horror and the trauma, and maybe we'll talk about mm. some tools around that, is the horizons thinking. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many of you have heard about it. Maybe you want to put your hand up in the chat, but there's um, first horizon, second horizon, and third horizon thinking. And the first horizon is triage. So that is where you are in the moment of the tragedy or the trauma or the crisis. And a lot of people stay in first horizon thinking it's where people are comfortable because you get a lot of instant gratification and the feedback loop is quite instantaneous. Someone's bleeding on the ground, I bandage them up, triage. Um, there's gratitude, there's, there's all those feedback loops. The second horizon is transition work. And that is often boring, laborious work to get us to bridge from where we are to where we want to go. So that is having presence of mind enough to sense into this isn't what we want. We want to go there. So there's a vision for where we're going and you're doing all the second horizon thinking and and labour required to Mm. get us from here to there, the bridge-making work. And then there's the third horizon, which is transformation. And that's the work of the dreamers and the visionaries to really lay down the landscape, the dreaming for where we could be going. And that takes us to, that's really important around the direction in which we orientate ourselves and what has our attention. And this is not a bypassing conversation that we're having because In the triage, in the moment, there is a serious need to attend to grief. And you were talking about that recently, says Mm, how to attend mm, to grief. Ambiguous loss. Yeah, and grieving when the the parameters are vague, you know, where it's not like a defined loss, where the you know where where it's ambiguous. Uh, there was a bit, um, there's, there's, there's a fair bit that I've written about that just recently, which a lot of people responded to. Yeah, I think, um, and some of what you've just said then does also, doesn't completely parallel, but it does sort of line up with that um, pre-tragic, tragic, post-tragic. Um, do you want to, do you want to, I, I skipped over that, sorry. I didn't go in and mm. articulate what that was. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, well, pre-tragic, and 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 it's it refers to both a stage that you might be going through within a crisis, or a, a culture might be going through, but it also refers to different eras. So, um, pre-tragic is where things are all pretty good, smooth. We're all pretty happy. We're we're a little bit um, immune to to things. Um, tragic is when we're when you know shit hits the fan. We're in it we're just slammed with it and we're absorbed by it and we think we can't make it post tragic is i from my understanding is when you can face it you can sit with it you can accept it and out of that comes a incredible or inspiring ability to live life fully because you've seen it all You've seen what it is. So it's not denying the tragedy. It's actually then taking that tragedy into, um, you know, that third horizon kind of thinking. And one piece, you know, that I sort of draw on and I'm sort of preempting your next bit because I know that we want to move to questions as well. But um, in terms of strategies, um, I'm jumping ahead, Barry. I'm, I'm, no, reading, no, I'm reading where you're heading. No, I love I love strategies. I think that's great. And I want to say to everyone in the chat, you can pop your questions in that chat chuck them in there, keep that alive, because what's beautiful about putting your questions in the chat is, I see I'm dodging this light. So annoying. Nice. 
Nice. Okay. All right. Your eyes look very, very, your eyes are actually fluorescent blue right now. Yeah. Blinded (laughs) by the light. Um, That's actually one of my therapeutic tools, music and singing, but we can, we can start as small giants and and serve a Substack choir. Oh, Danny, Danny's coming and shut up. The people have heard. Um, So uh, one of the things is put the put the questions in the chat because we all can, what happens with a positive feedback loop, unlike Instagram comment section, is we all get to kind of be nourished by the richness of the questions. And you don't have to ask like fabulous questions. I didn't mean to just intimidate everyone. You can just ask boring questions, but it helps people feel a permission. Mm, normal. Normal. Yeah. It helps feel everyone feel, feel normal mm. and, and, and heard. That's right. And um you can move on to tools and techniques for trauma. Oh, I just response. well, I thought of one. One of yeah. them. Well, one. Of, well, um, you and I will not be starting a singing group because you know that I have an absolute horror of singing. Like, um, but dancing um, and shaking things out is super, super important. I have become the crazy lady that goes dancing in forests. I catch a train outside of Paris for an hour, and I just go and run slash dance through a forest and it's great when you live in a place where nobody knows you and there's great tolerance for weirdos here in France like they're like "Eh, oh well um so that that is something that really works and in fact I think you held up a book earlier um ah yeah was it Uh, Waking the Tiger yeah this is by Peter Levine this is an amazing resource I read it when I was healing from chronic inflammation um, and we were living in Byron Bay. It's such a magnificent book. It's called Healing Trauma Through the Somatic Practice that Peter Levine mm. um, sort of developed in healing and treating Vietnam vets, um, which is also good, by the way, to like contextualise ourselves in the arc of history and know that we are not the first generation, nor will we be the last, to suffer and to mm. face multiple crises the only difference is now we we are plugged into the suffering of the entire world through our mobile phones, mm, and mm. it's a lot. There's two dif- there's two differences. We've we've faced civilizational collapses before, but not at a global level where it's all of us. Plus, we also the apocalypse is being televised. You know, we've got to yeah. kind of watch it, and we've got to acknowledge that that's what's going on. But yes, that book is the book that actually informed me of the benefit of shaking out trauma. So much of our anxiety today stays in our body because we're not doing fight or flight, which is what we used to do as a way to cope with anxiety. Instead, we're holding onto it and we're going into freeze mode. And the best way to shake out that energy in the same way that fighting something or fleeing something does, which is all about physical action, is to dance it off. Um, so that's one idea. I like how we've brought yeah, it all together into that at, book because you wanted to alert people to that one. Yeah, I do. And I also want to just read, like, I want to geek out a bit because this shit, mm-hmm. like, makes me very, I just love when people put words to the human experience. Regardless of how we view ourselves, and this was a very big theme throughout the Impact Safari Scandi, the Metacrisis Conversations. This was something that Nora Bateson talked about, lots of people talked about. Regardless of how we view ourselves, in the most basic sense, we literally are human animals. So on the trip, we talked about the fact that we're just mammals. Mm -hmm. We're mammals. We're just creatures. I'm looking at you, Lissy, who works with creatures and other kinds of mammals all day, every day. 
And Lisa, you understand our interconnectedness to all sentient beings on earth, but first ourselves, we are mammals. There is only so much that we can take. Without easy access to the resources of this primitive instinctual self, humans alienate their bodies from their souls. In order to stay healthy, our nervous systems and psyches need to face challenges and to succeed in meeting those challenges. When this need is not met or when we are challenged and cannot triumph, we end up lacking vitality and, un and are unable to fully engage in life. Most modern cultures, including ours, fall victim to the prevailing attitude that strength means endurance, that it is somehow heroic to be able to carry on regardless of the severity of our symptoms. Hmm. And I really noticed yeah. that this last sort of week, my breath was just wrapped in my ribs and I couldn't find it. And I'm getting like, I'm receiving a lot of trauma, not just from the news, but obviously Israeli and Palestinian beloveds who um, mm. who yeah. um, are in trauma. Both communities are in such profound trauma that it is really our job, if we want to be of service, I've sent all of my beloveds these incredible meditation um, YouTube clips that meditation teachers in Israel are running while bombs are going off overhead yeah. and they're sending it to all of their communities in the peace-building world. And I'm watching that and thinking if they can sit on a floor and teach meditation with bombs going off overhead and talk about separation, belonging, lack of attachment, breath, so I sent that to all my friends and I sent them also um, videos on trauma and how to regulate the nervous system. That's that's a lot um, of service to the embodied yeah. state of trauma, but to be of service, we need to be regulated. And so with my own breath, I noticed, and then I went to the osteo, I went and got acupuncture, I meditated, I got off Instagram and um, played a lot of music had magnesium before bed you know it's like all the tools bring all the tools in um so that you can pulse and tolerate yeah and not actually be holding your breath and not really of service and and actually feeding the war in the world or feeding the crisis and I think that activism sometimes feeds the crises yeah because because we are angry and activated when we when we react below the line. We buy into the fight mindset because we even use that wording. Um, I do I do know you want to move to questions, but I'll answer that last bit because I'm a, a stickler, as you know, for doing a rounding out of a point that kind of wandered off for for a bit. Um, I think so much of what we can be doing and focusing on is situated in that post tragic space. It's um, it, it is about accepting and seeing and coming face to face what with what is happening in the world and it's going to get worse this shit's real it's landed it's going to get worse we feel that we can't possibly endure more of this imagery coming out of the middle east um but unfortunately it's it is going to get more absurd and and we're going to be coming it, it's just this is just the beginning and so the best thing we can do is do as much work as we can now to face things and then also work on 
you know, this sort of this new world, um, you know, that third piece um, that you referred to earlier. And that is we we can, whatever we do now, we'll be building this the world that we will have to move into. You know, we are in a time between two worlds. The old world is dying. That is what we are witnessing. And so we're this in between and we're moving, we're going to have to, like the new world hasn't emerged yet, but what we're doing now, you know, I think it was Zadie Smith that referred to the idea. And actually, no, she quoted, um, oh, what's his name? Friedman, Milton Friedman, who said that, you know, a crisis is what creates change. And um, what actually comes out of the change depends on the ideas that align around at the time. This is the period to create the ideas that are going to be lying around as we emerge out of this damn thing. God knows when, but we will. Um, and so, yeah, that's what um, that's what I would just leave with people is that, you know, this is, you know, we can't just go into fetal position and do too much of the self-care. We've actually got to also do the facing of it and then start to create. And, and it's a, a great time for art. You know, in these kinds of times, the artists thrive, amazing ideas emerge from these kinds of times in history. And that's what I hang on to. When I am at my worst and despairing and so on, I just remind myself, all right, what's the challenge? What's the opportunity? What is What are we being called to do right now? How can we truly be of service? Um, and it's not fighting. It's not having a hot take. It's not posting something on Instagram before you've really sat with it all. Um, it's uh, it's holding, creating, creating a new a new field for us all to yeah. go and meeting. Yeah, beautiful. And there's an enormous amount of surrender in this in this whole mm. process. And like, I'm the last person that enjoys that shit. I don't want to surrender. I, and I also want to be very comfortable while I do it. So I'll be just... releasing your white knuckled fingers off the tragedies in coming I years. Can't. So, okay, we're going to go to questions. And I'm actually going to ask you, beautiful people, if you're happy to come off video um, to ask questions. I've got a question from Karen, which is really beautiful about holding yourself so you can cope. Karen, are you here? Do you want it? Do you want me to say your question? What's the vibe? I reckon read out the questions. Okay. Karen is. I hope she's still here, but it's a beautiful question. I find that holding myself so I can cope and take action tomorrow feels very similar to giving up. Any strategies for coping with that? Are you looking at me? Yeah, I'm looking one? at you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Just so you can at the side of the camera. Um. Ah. She, she, so she's feeling. She's feeling that holding herself. Holding in, myself in so I can cope and take action tomorrow feels very similar to giving up. Maybe oh God, we, no. yeah, maybe you and I have just answered that in talking about the pulsing. No, no, no. A strategy yeah. is to pulse. Go inwards, get your strength back, and then go back out. Whatever you do, don't stay in that little cocooned, comfy, indulgent, neo-capitalist space. Oh like God. you're doing it. Oh my God, why is it neo-capitalist? Oh my God, you freak me out. Why is it neo-cap? What's neo-capitalist about it? Be well, because it's become the spirituality has been oh, I see. the wellness by world. materialism. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 You don't need to buy anything in order to look after yourself. And yeah. Mm. And I think also what, what's really fascinating is there's a lot of intellectualization or there's a lot of weird guilt about taking care of oneself and one's family. I'm a parent. I have three kids. I have two teenagers. Oh, my God. Like the space I need for the downloads 
Why the downloads happen between 8 p.m. and 11 p.m., I don't know, but I'm like dead and I got to have resources. So it's not, it's all the things that you're holding, yeah. right? And and I find that like today I did something that felt so radical, which is outrageous, but it did. I had an actual hardcore sleep from one to two. I got into bed and I went to sleep and I woke up to the alarm and could have done another four hours, which was just a hint as to how deeply fatigued I am and all of us are. And so I think talking about rest or going out for a yoga class for rest, I'm not sure. Examine what exactly is nourishing you and nurturing you so that you can keep pulsing with a a service contribution. And that's the wisdom and action pulse. Get what you need and be serious about getting what you need so that you are okay to then be of right action, right mind, right service. Um, it's actually very serious work. And I think in Australia as well, as as regards feelings and personal needs, we either are neo-capitalist about it and it's wellness and it's like a veggie juice, I don't, I don't, a green juice, or it's guilt. I can't mm. spend the money on that. I can't which do... is still which is also very neo-capitalist, or it's very neoliberal and it's all that individualistic mindset that you have to sort of do all of this on your own and you are a lone ranger out there and you've got to look after yourself so that you can go out there on your own. Anyway, is there another question there, Barry? There are many, darling. And I just want to say also, don't don't feel guilty. Do what you need to do and then go back out in the world. And 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 being of service with goodness right now is radical. It is so radical. I think we could all agree. We have a beautiful question from Joe. Joe, are you here? Yes, you are. I can see you, Joe. Oh, you can't unmute yourself. Yeah, Van, you need to let oh, we have to hear Joe's. Beautiful voice. Van, can you let Joe speak? Hello, thank you. Um, thanks very much for the uh, discussion. This is just amazing. I think we, we definitely all need it at the moment. But um, I really was taken by the comment about the hot takes, right? They're very so surface level. And, um, I mean, I had the good fortune to go to Israel earlier in the year and I was just fascinated with the place and I just started reading about it. But... And a lot of it is history reading and the deep history of the place. And um, a lot of the hot takes, I think we end up with the binary sense of an issue. But um, what role do you think um, time and understanding what's happened before, uh, what role do you think that has in sense making? Because we don't seem to have a sense of history anymore. It's like we just appeared on a planet and everything is as it is and we can't appreciate like the origin story of things. I mean, what's sort of your comment on that stuff? Did you want to speak to that one, Barry? I've got a, I've got a, an go. hot take on that. Oh well, look. I mean, in some ways, um, my answer is actually coming from Barry. When I, I was in Israel with, um, with small giants in September, so just a little over a year ago, and um, Barry said to me, you know, if you leave Israel, being more confused than when you arrived, then Israel, the area, the region's done its job on you. And, um, you know, in in many ways, that statement, but also the experience there set me up for a better ability to cope with what's going on right now. And really, it's, I mean, I actually think that's what's happening in that region sums up the everythingness that we're talking about here, because it is at a level of complexity that no tracking back through history as to, well, who officially owns that land and who officially was the first person there. And, you know, there's no answer. 
all the historians, the economists, the this and that, none of them can actually arrive at an answer. And so we don't have to have an answer on that piece of the puzzle. I mean, I'm watching it. I'm getting sent, um, you know, sort of these tiles on Instagram of changing maps of Palestine and the West Bank over the years and all of this kind of thing. And a lot of people who really don't understand it, and even the most knowledgeable people of this area don't understand it. They confess that they don't understand it. Um, you know, people are actually sharing information on this without actually, and it's just causing more damage. It's, what is it, flood the zone with shit. We're flooding the zone with shit and we've got to stop because we're adding to the problem. We're adding to the chaos. And the chaos is the strategy that is being used consciously or otherwise to keep this meta crisis just frothing along. So, um, yeah, and actually, we and, al and also says, and, and Joe, I would say, Joe, you know this, you're a strategist as well. There are, you know, if you look at, like one of the things is analysing the meta crisis and you look at all of the players and all of the interventions and all of the, like, it is a spaghetti bowl of fuckery. Like we can't mm. just pull one thing out and go, that thing, nah, it's that thing, fuck, it's all of it. And that's the overwhelm mm. of going, it's all of it. It's biodiversity loss and um, climate change is going to, I mean, all of this was predicted when you study the meta crisis is going to cause conflict and resource wars and we all massive know unrest. massive mm. unrest this is a resource war amongst many things amongst also being a religious war so it will drive people into states of wanting certainty and um that's a donald trump thing as well it, these are certainties these are uh the known status quo and sort of doubling and tripling down on that and and people die Many people mm. die and it's our ability in our places of privilege, safety, comfort, love to actually resource from that place of comfort and love. And, and I just want to really like stress that guilt, feeling guilty is not a resource. So if you feel guilty about stuff, you need to put that shit away permanently because it doesn't help anyone. It's annoying and not useful. So if all you do with your therapist or your meditation teacher is get rid of your guilt, please, by God, do it to be of service mm. to the meta crisis, because then actually the field, the generative field around you is that of you needing the help, you needing a resource to alleviate your own suffering. So we all need to tend to our, our, our very suffering. And Joe, in terms of timelines and history and the arc of time, I just find it enormously comforting to re-remember we live in a moment in the arc of time and that's a kind of dharma perspective in a way as well because um we mean everything and we mean nothing and therefore to i i, I have found in this last 10 days the sort of crystallization for me that how you choose to think, act and move just matters moment to moment. It it really genuinely does and it's felt more potent to me than ever. And in terms of timelines, I think I my anxiety was driven by anxious timelines, the fact that we aren't going to make it, the fact that it's urgent, everything's urgent mm. and immediate and, oh, my God, there's all this history that I don't understand and I need to, like, cognitively level up to all of that. And while I say, yes, we must all become students of history, not just one version of it, like even the feminist revision of history, like Wifedom by Anna Thunder, I'm going to be interviewing her soon. What a remarkable thing to add voices to the arc of, of history. 
but we are the ancestors of tomorrow. Mm. And so what is the part that we play in that arc? And I have come to a conclusion that if I am acting from anxiety around the urgency, I need to take a leaf out of our Indigenous Elders of Australia and remember, take a week of silence, actually. Mm. And there are ancient ways that we've all, we are all Indigenous to in our bodies that tell us that we need to, to, to drop into um, our place in the arc of time. Mm. Um, more questions. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Joe's the best. Of course, Joe asked a good question. Um, does anyone have a question or are we, are we out of questions? Two questions? I've got something that I want to add to that, what you were just saying in the meantime while you're looking for a question. I just want to just calm people at another piece of calming thinking is that in the past when we had crises like this and they, I don't think they were as big as the ones that we're facing at the moment because it's global and we have to watch it, um, we had leaders, we had structures um, and the crises moved at a pace where leadership could actually stay in tune with it. So we had religion for, for for better or worse. Um, we had community groups, we had mores, we had philosophical schools, whatever it might be. We don't have those like we used to. And so what we're going to have to do is, and so we've got to understand that so much of the sense-making we're expected to do, we're expected to do on our own while feeding the kids, putting a roof over our heads, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we can't, there's no one to defer it to. However, we are going to have to go and find our moral leaders to be able to cope with this because we can't do it on our own as individuals one by one. It's ridiculous to do that. So one thing in terms of a coping strategy is to make sure that you cleave to to, to communities like this that can provide some kind of moral guidance because it's, it is too overwhelming for us to do it on our own person by person. Um, so that's just one thing I wanted to throw in there is that historically we had a lot more help. Um, today we're having to sort of almost start from scratch. Um, but that, the resources that, are there and there are wonderful books, there's legacies, all of that I, kind of thing. I actually, I actually found this book to be the most cut. So I came back from the, the Scandi trip and in many ways the message was go home and hug your children. Mm. And I was like, fuck that shit. No, we're not giving up. Because we have work to do, people. We are horizon one, two, and three all at the same time. You're welcome. And this, God is an Octopus, is the most beautiful book on rewilding. And what's incredible about the book, the book was the thing that pulled me out of my deep grief hole when coming back from the Metacrisis trip because everyone was like, we got back and we are like, what was the trip? And I was like, don't know how to talk about that and so Magdalena this kind of answers your question of sharing more on what happens when we act from a place of anxiety Ben Goldsmith um, comes from a famous British family and tragically in the story in God is an Octopus he talks about losing his 15 year old daughter um, she died uh, after an accident on their family farm and he talks about the tragedy and the grief process, and, and that's not normally a book I would pick up and read because I have a 16-year-old and a 13-year-old and I've, I, I stay away from reading things that make me too fucked up. And um, But what was incredible about this book is that his pathway out of his grief was beginning to rewild his family farm. And there was this collaboration, this embrace of nature 
to his grief, like nothing was big enough to contain or chart the course of his grief. And he leant back into this remarkable planet and the fact that we we can be a part of the repair and that in repairing the world, we actually move into those horizons two and three because we actively participate in new formations around goodness and repair and love. And, you know, for years people have said love is a soft word, but love is radical. It's radical. Take love into the situation room. Take love into the boardroom. I always try to put love and money in the same sentence because this is a new systems dynamic and you have to live into it. You have to have a nap for an hour at 1 o'clock on a busy day when you've got work mm-hmm. to do. And um, and when we act from a place of anxiety, I can only say from my own experience, Magdalena, it's shit. It hurts the It hurts you and it hurts the world. And yet we have anxiety. I have it too. And so I just I just keep in mind some of the tools we've talked about on this call, above the line and below the line, leadership and service. And I think really do everything you can to figure out what gets you above the line so that you're moving and acting and being of service above the line as often as possible because anxiety feeds anxiety, as we all know. And and tend, you know, Nora Bateson said something so beautiful. She said, we need to tend to the bones right now, mm. um, which is an ancient Nordic animist piece of wisdom. So we have a few more questions. We have one thing I'll no, just I'll wait, just, we have no oh, more time. Oh my god. Uh, we have go no, on. We, oh, no, go on, go on minute. I'll just I'll add to that last piece that Magdalena was asking about. Um I find, you know, and it feeds into what you were talking about, Barry, walking in nature, if you want a really quick fix. Um, just walking in amongst trees, it works. 42,000 studies have been done that show the impact that it has on anxiety, problem solving, um, discerning thinking, big, awesome thinking, uh, regulating your nervous system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, That's probably the best thing that we can do um, is just to walk in nature. And for anyone interested, I'm going to plug my my book, um, This One Wild and Precious Life. I hiked around the world in nature for three years to explore how we can transform our anxiety into action um, for anyone who's who's interested. And um and yeah, I, I also think that the most powerful I saw this meme on Instagram. It was the last meme I saw before I removed it from my <laughs> phone. And it was from an amazing woman documentary filmmaker called Dia Khan. And she said our most powerful response to the horror is to refuse to surrender our humanity. Yep. Amen, beloveds. Nice, nice note to end things on. Guys, I'm sorry we didn't get to all the questions. You're welcome to stay while the amazing music of Riley Lee is playing. He is my um, fave shakahachi flute player. I played him through all of the births of my children and I meditate to him regularly. That's one of my tools. Um, You're all awesome. I wish you well. Go well. Um, Go with rest go with goodness. And uh, these are some of the programs we run at the Small Giants Academy. If you really want to be taken on a journey to kind of like hold the thinking and deepen the thinking, um, that's just a little taster. But, um, yeah, thanks, gang. You guys are awesome.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.